1: Hey everyone, Yas here, and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favor to ask, and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends, and don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that's at The Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys.
0: The Coaches Network.
1: Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yas and I've got a very special guest for me today. My guest today is Darren Moss. Good morning, Mossy, or afternoon, rather. How are you?
2: I am very well. Great to see you, my friend. All good. Sun's shining where I am in Norfolk, Uh, although he probably doesn't look that way from where (laughs) the curtain's drawn because it's so bright out there.
1: Yeah, yeah, same same here um Mossy, before we get into the thick of it just a brief insight on who you are what you what you do and then we'll go from there
2: yeah thanks uh, yeah it's one of these things what do I do who who am I it's, it's a difficult one it's quite it's multifaceted so up to very recently I've spent 10 years working at the Football Association very proud to do that I'm still associated as a consultant with the FA but being a man of uh, of longer years now hitting that big 6-0 I uh I'll step back part-time, so um, there's lots of reasons and why I force for that, but I'm a consultant for the FA. I'm a doctoral student, I'm doing a, 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 mar- after a master's degree, I'm now doing a, a doctorate in elite mentoring performance, um, which has been a journey across a number of bits and bobs. So I run my own biz- business, mentorial performance, kind of a mentoring, coach development, people development, a bit of teaching at, at, at university, so, yeah, I, I've got a multitude of uh, experiences, but it's about people, about relationships. And that's my bias, really, about developing people and helping people learn.
1: Amazing. Mossy, as, as with everyone on the podcast, especially when they uh, come from a coaching background, I'm really interested in how they first got into coaching and what what it was about coaching in particular that like, grabbed them. Um, and hopefully you've got a slightly different story. That's not one where I didn't make it as a player. <laughs>
2: Well, I didn't make it as a player, (laughs) which is true. Um, But someone said to me, oh, were you you a a YTS and and so on and so forth in the youth days? But it was different then. I did. Yeah, I was at Spurs Arsenal as as a youth player and I went to West Ham, which is uh, anybody that knows me knows that's my passion anyway. So I signed for West Ham, was an apprentice professional at West Ham back in 78, 79, 80 around those times when we were Division 2 and won the FA Cup a long time ago. I My passion was coaching then. I did make it as a player, so I'm sorry, but it's true. I went into non-league quite early, but somebody saw in me something that may work within the development of people. I was always a captain, county captain, Middlesex, because I'm I'm from London originally, so Barnett School's captain, Middlesex School's captain, London School's captain, all that stuff. So when the playing didn't kind of go anywhere, that kind of leadership stuff kind of did. Um, So, yeah, that's where I went from that. So I went into... Into business, and I'm not going to give you a complete boring list, but I've I've talked at colleges and FE colleges. I worked in business as a head a UK um, coach service for an international company, so there was lots of leadership and mentoring and business involved in that. But for 19 years, from county FA into the the football association itself, I've I've worked in coach development as a national lead for diversity and inclusion, as a national lead for disability, but also within the mentoring programme as well. So 20 years of that.
1: Awesome. I didn't realise you was a Barnet boy. Whereabouts?
2: Yeah, Barnet boy. So I'm new, I was East Barnet, New Barnet. So, yeah, that's where I come from originally. So most of my time was spent from the Finchley end in. So at West Ham, Arsenal and Spurs as a player, which I've mentioned. Uh, our Middlesex team. So, I mean, it was a hell of a side. Uh, all the pro clubs, somebody close to Middlesex, Chris Ampofer, I don't know if you know Chris, but Brent schools and so on. Is that kind of area, that kind of time um so yeah that that was my background but i've been in norfolk and away from uh from the smoke for want of a better phrase for some 32 years now mate so um you can tell by the norfolk accent
1: <laughs> <That's not. laughs> yeah no it's, it's, well, that's interesting to know. i can see learn something new every day um i actually grew up in blind myself in and around more the west uh the yeah. west kind of side of it um but let's talk about it you know you, you said that obviously early on you was recognized for some of your leadership qualities leadership skills um just describe what does that look like when, you know, when, when players, because I think players often made captains and things like that. It's because equality has been seen or, or something has been seen. What what what, did, what was that for you? Why were you selected as the captain? What was stood out?
2: Yeah, I think that the, the one you get seen for is being vocal and and speaking up or taking that kind of lead in the dressing room or you want, whatever you want to call it. But I, I, I'd like to say, and it is my bias, and it'll come out two or three times in the chat probably, Back to my research is about other people. I, I'm really people focused. I'm really relationship focused. And I'm one of those people that you know probably to my detriment. I think about others a lot. You know, uh, not a day that goes by but I'm not talking about mentoring or helping support people. So, I was one of those scanners. So, okay as a player, I was a I was a, I was a fullback. I'm not the tallest as you know, but I was quite quick, and quite strong, and I was that typical kind of overlapping and set piece left footed fullback. But when I say scanner, I was a scanner of people. I'd always look around the dressing room there was you know those that probably weren't connected and I'm not talking about being focused I'm talking about them as a person uh so I had that kind of bias of wanting to make sure I was supporting people and I was listening to people and Mm. and I think that was seen in me in a few early early mentors and and early coaches um that I I kind of had an affinity to kind of help and support people um so that that kind of set me up to that kind of role really
1: so just building on that then obviously (laughs) I'm curious obviously we're all so different um where, where do you think that came from do you think that was you know a reflection or maybe your upbringing that you were maybe naturally became more em- empathetic and things like that or was it something that you saw or was uh, it
2: yeah that's a really interesting question and you know you're making me reflect on it as well um and there's a, there's a lots of so without digressing too much it, into my research I've put a lot of kind of ethnography into it I've got a lot of storytelling there's lots of stuff that are coming out I'm doing a, a, a reflexive thread through my through my studies because I kind of re- like to put my personal touch on stuff and that's always been the case I've got a big family I mean when we say big families lots of us come from big families from from cities but my, my dad was one of six boys he was the youngest of six boys my mum was one of nine when you talk about first cousins I had 34 first cousins so I grew up um it, with a lot of people don't we We didn't have a, you know it's an old story about like I didn't make it as a player but two pennies to rub together I know my 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 grandparents and my dad's family moved on a horse and cart from the east end to the north London and all that kind of stuff but you know it was a it was a Coleman great guy so all that all that stuff so I had people around me so I had lots of people that nurtured me supported me my mum and dad worked really hard lots of long hours as we did mum in a factory dad is in the gas business and so my nan looked after me a lot you know so I was around my nans a lot and we had three uncles and cousins in the same street, it was all that kind of stuff, but I, people won't believe it, but I'm an introvert, I like my own space, so, you know, I disappear and have my own thoughts, uh, because I was surrounded by people, walking in the woods, walking with the dogs, all that stuff, I still do that now, and I, I kind of reflect on, on bits quite a bit, so there's a lot there for you to take and dissect, but yeah, I, I'm people-focused, um, people-orientated, but I'd, I'd like to take time to think about that, and I think that's, you know been my upbringing and my way through i've got five grandkids now on my world you know and being there for them and being that supportive ear, and it is still part of what i do
1: mm. so just building on that then obviously you know we've we're both in the world of coaching um talking about them people focus and you know initially at the top of you talk about coach development but something specific more, was that people development piece do you think coaches can be successful with them if, if they don't have that
2: yeah, I think they can be successful, but I, I think it's how you gauge and measure success. So, you know, if I've got a trophy in the cabinet, yes, and it's great and it's going to be shiny, whether I was people-focused or I wasn't. But I think you look at value and authenticity. You know, I, what I really like to see, and you know, talk about, you know, we're on the cusp of the World Cup final and unfortunately England not winning, but uh, Serena was there for the players, the players are there for each other, et cetera. So I think if you've got that about you, Gareth is the same, Gareth Southgate, I don't want to go into the the mantra of just FA speak, I'm talking about all those kind of managers, I had bad ones, and and I had good ones, as we've all had, but I think you're better, if you are authentic, if you're people focused, you get more out of it, you probably enjoy your victories more, you probably understand your losses better too, so yes, you can be, I mean, and and I've had coaches that I, you know, obviously would not mention by name, and I won't go down that that road, but we're probably more autocratic, we're probably more results focused, Uh, and I use Certain motivations internally and externally to to play and do the best I could under them. But those that really cared, those that really came across that I I was valued as a person, Uh, you know, my work in inclusion too, making sure that we are inclusive in our thought processes. I'm talking about all people. Then then I'm more entitled to go. Yeah, actually, I trust you. Let's and they'll probably get a better side of me. Um, So yeah, you can be, but I I still would, and I know it's my bias, but I go back to that. If you really care, then. You're gonna get a better, better version of Darren Moss. That's
1: for sure. Yeah, I think word that you've used consistently there is authenticity and being authentic, right? I think um, just just talk to me a little about that because obviously you know when I, when I speak to certain coaches, especially in in my coach mentoring capacity, and I tell them about being authentic and you know, there's this almost fear that you know if they're authentic, he could, could expose them. um lack of competency sometimes or there's a vulnerability around actually if I'm authentic completely then the players might question me or look at me differently because I might not have all the answers or might not be everything that they th- they think the coach should be if that makes sense.
2: Yeah it's a really good point and an important point and use the word I was going to come back with I think authenticity and vulnerability go closely together you Now, some people build kind of a I don't want to use the, the cliches of ivory towers, but build this persona about, you know, I am a know-all, I, I, I know football, I've got it, I've got this badge, I've played here, listen to me kind of thing. And there's, a, there's a, that's a high place to fall from, yes, there's a high place to fall from. Now, you can be competent and vulnerable, and if you're vulnerable, it shows reality, it shows authenticity, but it's how you portray it. I mean, you're not going to go in and say, oh, I don't know this, I don't know that. But if you share it at the right time and storytell at the right time and... And and your experiences at the right time, when people know you've you, you've experienced, you know those cliches about learning from your mistakes, but that's true, isn't it? Right, everything we do is a school day. So, you know, you didn't know I was from Barnet, now you do. All that stuff, it's it's about being vulnerable, being passionate. It's about your cards when you play them at the right time. But if if I am authentic, if people know that I'm, you know, I can be vulnerable in the right way, then that's a positive strength for me um that's why people say to me mate all my research about the relational side and mentoring they say it's fluffy it's it's not fluffy it's contextual it's really detailed people are, people's complex so it's when you use you use what you need to use at the right time by being authentic it's a real real skill but if people trust me and i'm being honest and i want us to win because i want them to be better then i think you're in a good place
1: yeah i, I think it's a really in- interesting point because um often a topic of conversation with a few of the coaches i work with is people, players in this case, I I don't I don't actually think they care if you know the answer or not and I don't think they care so much uh, rather how you deliver your points and and things like that as long as in the at the base level they know actually it's coming from a good place and they will almost, my experience tells me, they will almost kind of take anything you say because they know that you're doing it with their best interests at heart um so I think I think it's interesting. I mean what 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 are your thoughts have, what are your experiences of that?
2: Yeah, lot lots of them, you know. Um the disappointment card. Now that seems like you're not being authentic, but if when I've worked with players and things haven't gone well, like you know, and people haven't tried, or you know, people are throwing things out the pram, I'm disappointed. I say, what well, you know, come on, you know, let's let's pull together. You know, but if we have that real mentality of we're in it together, we make mistakes together, you know, and it sounds fluffy, it's not, it's like listen, I'm in this dressing room with you because I care. You're playing because you love the game. Let, let, what can we do together? I think it's, I've had both ends of it. I've had, Um, again, i been really careful, but I had a, a very high profile manager back in the club I was at, uh, at under 18 level. Uh, and he he pinned me he pinned me to the wall to shout at me one day. And it was kind of, you know, you don't forget that. There was also a time, and again, I'm being careful, but I'm being a real authentic story. Whereas I got the opportunity to play in a game uh, pre-season, but at a high profile club with a lot of people in the crowd. My parents were there. I was 18, I was brought on the pitch by the assistant manager because the manager was away uh, scouting players. We warmed up, captain came and patted me on the head, heart was pumping, this might be my opportunity after not making it as a footballer. Uh, the, the guy turns up, the coach who's very well known, turns up with one of his signings, bear in mind it's pre-season, asked very vocally why I was on the pitch, pulled me off the pitch, I asked Mr. So-and-so, do you want me to put my tracks on? He went, no, get off down the, down the tunnel and he didn't play me. So I remember that person, she's coming to my head. I didn't have that written down to tell you that story. It's that what you know where I come from. This is what this is about, and people learning from experiences and challenging their own reflections. That stuck with me. That person still speaks on telly now. And I'm going, okay, you're talking about people focused. That my experience was different. I don't blame that person, but that was my experience. And do you know what comes out of that? I don't want to anybody I've ever managed to feel that way. You know, I'm sure there's people listening to this guy, mostly we had conversations, that's fine, but I'm sure we left them in a way that you know, I tried to do it for the best intentions and you did it for the best intentions. So, yeah, I've had those experiences. It didn't come from, oh, it's been great and my family was brilliant. And I've had some rough times where I've learned from those experiences. But my ultimate learning is I don't want people to be talked talk to that way or experience what I experienced.
1: You know, this sometimes challenges that old saying, right? Treat others how you want to be treated. But actually, th- there's a lot of flaws in that as well, isn't there?
2: Yeah, there is flaws, because I don't know how you really want to be treated. But if I get to know you better and you get to know me better, you know, again, it's that it's that rapport of understanding what really what you want to do. So it's the how, where and when it's like, you know, if I'm watching a coach work as a mentor, as a, as a coach, You know, it's, it's, it could be in my team. But how do they want to be w- watched? When is it the right time? Do they want me in their face? Do they want me to step back? If I understand the nuance of that person better, then we're going to get a more authentic relationship. I'm going to see the real person. And I'll probably yeah. know how to measure performance. And I'll probably know how to measure how they're feeling. So they won't mask it because a lot, a lot of research tells us that people being observed in anything and, and within some of my stuff is that they do feel vulnerable. They do feel nervous of being observed. So how we do that is really key to understand that person better.
1: Yeah. So just to build on that, then obviously talking about observations and things like that, um... Yes, there's an element of right, Mossy. You're gonna come watch my session. I've got a way in which I like to be, um, I guess, supported. If you like, um, but just like players, coaches were saying, have, you know, if I've had a previous experience and you've said, let's just say, strategy X is what you're coming to support me with. If I've had a bad experience with strategy X in the past, I could be misled to believe that strategy X just is not for me. So it could be that it could be that the the experience rather than the strategy, right?
2: No, absolutely. It, 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 again, the word nuance, it's about the day, the weather, the timing how you're feeling. Do you have a good day at work? Do you not have a good day at work? Don't just think there's one fits all.
1: Mm. So if I'm
2: coming to watch you, I want to know. So that contracting phase of any relationship, I'm not just talking mentoring here, I'm talking about coaching, I'm talking about relationship with the team I work with for 40 games of a season. If I get to know and understand how they best want it, then that's how I tried to contract my feelings towards them, how I observe when I observe. So the clipboard stuff we've, we've all been down there about standing and, and, and ticking and you know when we're watching that's fine I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that but I know if I'm not going to get the best out of somebody it might be that I sit down maybe that I get out of eyesight to watch it might be the feedback comes cold because that's what want it straight away that's what they've asked me it might be that I don't do it for a day it, but it's about what they want and what I've learned from that person yeah,
1: but it, it's, it's about it, it, the
2: people in front of you
1: what, what they want could sometimes be limited to what they're exposed to and what they're aware that could be in place right so obviously if i come across yeah, and serious. say right i want to try and do things this way they might not be necessarily comfortable with that um but it's almost because they're going into a place of the unknown rather than a place of disagreement if that makes sense
2: it is but you have those conversations don't you and then if that if that authenticity comes out that you've had those conversations and it might be a mix of of each it might be trying it a different way and actually they might actually realize actually that works for them but Mm. you can't just go with the same trick every time you've got to look at different ways you can do things and then speak to players i think it's really really important speak to people um you know it's about those walks and talks it's not about just turning i know time constraints people listening to this i know turning up because you're working hard all that stuff but if you can find time to walk and talk and sit down and chat show that you care if you're working with youth players you know we said it already but they they know that you care ask them about their day it's no different to you know an, an adult open age female side male side it's about knowing the people and if they if you care, and you ask you'll learn stuff right and mm. then that'll help you with your delivery when you observe how you listen when you feedback We all want want it, but we all need it at different times, at different places. So it's trying the best you can, back to the point right at the beginning about this, that being authentic and you're trying for the right reasons to get the best communication methods, the best understanding methods and the best relationship you can with you and your players.
1: Well, definitely. I just want to link back into a word that you used previously around rapport. And a lot of the, I guess a lot of the foundations of any coach and player... um, it's about building the relationships right whether it's coach to coach whether it's mentor to coach coach so let's talk about that you know there's a lot of coaches that might be listening to this thinking you know what i've I find it challenging to build relationships or, or i can or i'm better at building relationships with some players and others and you see it all the time right where sometimes the better relationships are often with the players who just kind of just get on with things but the ones that maybe find it a little bit more challenging or the ones that become disengaged or, or just those are the ones who are struggling to, you know, the, the coaches are struggling to build relationships with. T- you know, t- tell us about it. Where, where do coaches start? With? What are some of the things there? And, you know, maintaining the authenticity. But really the piece that I want to kind of nail in on is getting coaches to think more openly and maybe taking more accountability for the fact, actually, if this player is not engaging, yeah, probably is down to us.
2: And a lot of it, it would be. And again, one one size don't fit all. But it's that you know, it, it's the clubhouse situation again. It's how when do you engage with your players when they arrive? I, as a coach, and I've seen some brilliant coaches, but they're so focused that they've got their head in the whiteboard, they've got their head in 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 the magnets, they've got you know the, the cursory little wave, and they're writing stuff down or they're sorting the kit out. I'd understand the reality, but you know, if you if it's a big game or it's, it's just a friendly. How are you engaging? Are you asking how they are? Are you talking? Are you picking up? Let's talk about the nuance of the game. You want to win the game, right? Let's not, let's not beat about the bush. People want to win football matches. But you want to know how your players are before you start talking to your team talk, before you walk out to kick the ball, yeah? You want to know where they're at. So that's fundamental to see where people are, how they're feeling. Then at half time, again, that's, that's another conversation. But at the end of the game, win, lose, or draw in the clubhouse, wherever that might be. You know, some don't want to talk, some want to talk. But do you engage or do you sit in a corner with your cup of tea or your pint, whatever your fancy is, and, and 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 brood? Or are you one that walks around and talks to your players? Or do you let them talk and listen and then engage? Listen, well, they're all skills and tricks, but it's about being there and understanding the individual. How can you say you didn't perform if you don't know how they were before the game or what's influenced their thinking, how focused they were or not focused because of a incident? You need to try and listen. I mean, we're talking here about rapport, but listening is probably one of the biggest skills here. Just as they walk in, you know, it was always one to say hello, high five, chat, whatever, but then listen to those first conversations. I'm not talking about being obtrusive or in a we're in a dressing room situation, but how you engage with your players is fundamental. Um, listening to to, to understand what they're they're thinking and what they're saying rather than just replying and it's all about the weather or the results. So yeah, rapport's massively important. Do you have a coffee with them? Do you do you have an opportunity at training to just chill and chat a bit sometimes rather than just get straight into the running or the you know or the drills or whatever you want to call it. I'm trying to use you know language there that might indicate that we just the time is short, but engaging with people is vitally important. and I always mm. try really hard to to make sure that I understand the players the best I can within the context of what we're doing.
1: So just um just um... Hypothetically, what what are some of the questions that you kind of really trying to formulate in your head? Obviously, that you might tailor them specifically for the individual in the moment in question. But what are some kind of specific things you're going after there? You know, you talk there about knowing how the players are. Um, I I personally have I've kind of made it a real key focus of mine that in every session I deliver, I I want to have several touch points with every single player. In there, um, obviously, bearing in mind there is a session going ahead, I'm not going to get to everyone as Um, effectively as I'd like to some people might get a bit more of my attention in today's session as opposed to the next one but I'm really conscious of trying to get some sort of interaction with every individual in the session you know what 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 kind of things would you be going after in terms of the information you're trying to find out really
2: yeah, I think anything out of the norm, or are, are, are they just okay because they're okay, they're focused? Now, that's knowing the players again. I know we're using this phrase a lot, but if we know the players and I know how they perform day in, day out, how they speak to me day in, day out, how they react to the other team in, in a normal circumstance, how they sit in the dressing room, how they enter the ground, whether it's headphones or not, I'm, I'm impartial, all that stuff, it's fine. That's individual needs and concerns. But anything outside that I don't see, I might ask. And it might be, I'll I, I just i'd I'd, um, I had a player once who had uh, some, some mental health issues and it, we had just a scale, just a scale. It was just a scale, one to five. And I'd say, was it? And they'd go four or three. And I'd know, and they'd just give me an indication. So it might be that it's a two, you know, it might be a conversation or I might leave them alone. and they'd... So it just gave me a benchmark of where I interjected or did not interject or, or whatever. I'm not saying you need to do that. Mm. That's just one instance that's, that's come back into my head. But if I know them as people... From games, from training, from interactions, from life, from the social, from, you know, the the, the fundraiser we did the week before when I was there. Then I hope, back to my point about scanning, I I wear myself out worrying about how they are. But then again, it might give me an indication in the game to where they're going to perform, how they perform. They might be just focused, But that's where we are. We don't want to be too intrusive, but I think you get some real good indications of where the players are. And that's by knowing them as people.
1: Mm, I think I think it's so important that you mention that because I think you know even thinking back to my own experiences with certain players now. So like, I think it's very quick to judge and, and make an assessment on where players are at, right, but without the context, you know, or rather with the context, the whole story changes, right? You start making different allow, allowances to an extent. There's a bit of leniency there, and it's not to say you're you're giving them special treatments per se, but you're just becoming, I guess, a bit more compassionate and understanding to their situation, recognizing that they're not going out there to play bad they're going to play the best they can in that moment right um yeah
2: yeah
1: and yes it might not be the best the best today might not be the same as the best yesterday but it's all relative it's like I look at it when I go to the gym for instance or if I'm working out I'm not going to have the best workout every single time but as long as I leave that environment thinking do you know what there wasn't much more I could have done in that situation based on the fact that you know my kids kept me up this morning, and I, my kids didn't keep me up last yesterday morning. So that's why the workout was. But you start to rationalize why things work and why things don't work, so you can kind of regulate that as best as you can, right? But so I think it's really important to kind of you know have those conversations with players to maybe highlight some of those things that they can maybe regulate, but also, in many respects, become more self-aware. So you know, just kind of building on that, then, what what would you advise me to coaches listening to this, thinking, Do you know, what I've got some real big challenges. Um, with building those relationships with my players yes it's not a one-size-fits-all approach um but it is important to understand where the players are at and how the players are you know what what would you say is the lens they need to be really look for just to kind of really become more compassionate and em- em- empathetic in that respect
2: i think it starts at the beginning yes it still to talk, talk about expectations and why you're there in the first place i think you need to understand why the players are there where, what level you're at you know and i mean that Respectfully, you all want to win games, you've said that, but is it purely recre- recreational? Are you re- Are you being a realist about the environment you're in? But if we're talking about you know, a level where, to the players as well, it's important, then you need to set expectations. Then you can benchmark yourself where you're going. You need to understand what players are expecting out of it. Why are they there? Just to participate, to play, to be the best they can be. So it's rather just turn up and then try and throw all this stuff into the mix in one dressing room situation. You need to try and understand where the players are at the beginning. Is it the league they want to win? Is it do better than last season? Is it to be play better football? You know, all these cliches, but they're true and important to players. They're there because they want to play football. And we can't lose the focus of that. And if we understand what the general expectations are, then that comes in as well, because most of the stuff I've picked up from players, when there's been a potential challenge, or I don't connect with everybody, is maybe listen to this, that you know we briefly didn't get on the best we can, because that's human nature. But players would tell me, and quite often I then had that conversation with the player so it's about again showing that you care it's about setting expectations at the beginning so you know you're in it collectively you're going to make mistakes but we're going to try and do this this season um we want to be the best that we can be and to do this your part in there is this and have those conversations honest open conversations because you're playing your part as well right as a coach mm-hmm. you, can, you know you're going to have sleepless nights you're going to make mistakes you're going to not you're going to be late. You're going to like spend too t- far time away on a bus. You're, all that stuff. So you need to understand and be honest with and authentic with your expectations, what you want to get out of it. And then, hopefully, then the bus is a happier place.
1: Mm. I, see, I think it's really interesting. Obviously, you were just really talking about, like I said, the expectations, understanding what the players are after and what the players, what, what the players need. I think part of it sometimes, though, from my experience is that players will come in and it might be a recreational environment for them to start with but that's possibly sometimes because they haven't had the push or the or the or the encouragement to know that actually it could be more than that for them and even for even for the coaches themselves right and recognizing that actually yes at age and stage is important here yes there is there are the nuances that exist as well but fundamentally if the player is coming into this process and you're trying you know the environment is let's say um for lack of a better way to describe it, a high-performing environment, but it's not quite, it's still at grassroots level.
0: Ooh.
1: You've got to kind of shift the way in which you deliver in that environment, right? And you've got that and what you maybe hold them accountable for. And these are coming back to the expectations you've set and understanding that. Is interesting. I was having this conversation the other day with someone that in every environment, whether it's uh, high-performing or recreational, that's not a direct representation of the individuals that are within it. Because again, for lack of a better way of describing it, in some high performing environments, you could still get recreational individuals back who typically are just highly talented and vice versa. You might have high performing individuals in a recreational environment, maybe not as talented or or they're not as competent as they need to be to be in the high performing environment. Right. But that's a a demonstration of their attitudes, their personalities, maybe their behaviours. So maybe just share a bit of insights on, on your thoughts around that and how we manage that balance.
2: Well, again, it comes down to knowing the players, doesn't it? Because if that player is, you know, at their capacity, they're trying as hard as they can, there's your conversation. They're giving everything, they're trying everything. But they might be limited technically, but they've got a heart of a lion or a lioness. They're out there doing the best they can. And that's the player you want in your team for those reasons. Do you tell them that? Do you Do they understand that, that you accept that, you respect that? And I'm really there for you. But then again, you might have someone that needs, that's played at a high level. We're all storytelling here. But this player's come; he's in the level, she's in the level that you really know that they're a brilliant player. But are they realistic? But you need to manage that. So the challenges on the pitch, the challenges off the pitch, pushing boundaries, sessions, you know, trying to showcase their abilities, trying to help them show where they can play in the team. And quite often, you know, again, we've been stereotypical, but a really high-flying player might not be the person that engages with the player we just talked about who maybe they show those behaviors in a way that maybe look like they, they disrespect that player on the pitch. All of a sudden, you've got to balance the reality of football. So, people to under, but if you understand them, you can try and help those conversations. Player X gives this, you give that. And I really And that's my individual conversation. I try to be more general. When my team talks about everyone brings their part, everyone's part of the team. We're all in an OI team, all of that kind of thing. But individually, knowing the players, I can then sit down with a coffee with that plan and go, listen, we know what a superstar you are. We know what potential you have. Let's try this. You know, I think mm. you could bring this to the game. I have noticed this in training. And then you might get that buy-in, and then you might get that extra 5% because they want to. But then again, if that raises, then player A, we talked about at the beginning, might change their game. It's all of that stuff. Yaz. It's a massive, important, fun conversation because everyone's different. But how you manage those individuals, Send to them and sometimes negate negative messages sent by players because that happens it's the job of a coach that's why it's complex that's why you never paid enough um, you know and that's why any success should be should be shared and should be celebrated but more you know your players you know limits you know boundaries you know where you can push them where you can't push them and if they know you're doing it for the right reason for them mm. not just for the team mm. and that's where players sometimes sorry coaches lose it because it's all about the outcome, it's all about mm. the game, it's all about the result, but you sometimes forget the individuals that are inside mm. of that team.
1: I think it's a great point. Like I said, I, I just echoes everything I, I, I think about in terms of, for me, the players aren't always expecting you to get success with them, but they, I think the minimum that they expect is to see that you're trying. And if they see yeah. that you're trying, I think, you, you know, I say it's a parent, players, coaches all the time, while I said, whether it's a player or it's a parent. Um, Yes, they're not going to be overjoyed and jubilant at the fact that things didn't work out necessarily. But if they know that you're trying with good intentions and good, and and, and, you know, and that's at the forefront of your mind, they can let the mistakes go by because they know that it was done with good intentions, right? So just just building on that, then you know, something you said earlier about players and you know, there's no iron team. This applies for coaches as well, right? Like we're not we're not getting better just by osmosis. We actually have to go through a process and. In certain times, we you know we are seeking guidance from experienced individuals, and sometimes those experienced individuals is not necessarily quantified by years or time spent in the game, but it's maybe the depth and range of those experiences. Obviously, we met through you know the coach mentoring piece that you know that through the FA and and whatnot. What would your advice be to coaches around the importance of mentoring in that capacity? Because I think a lot of coaches are still kind of not quite sure whether mentoring is a good thing for them or what whether it's right for them but yeah let's start with that i've got a whole a host of questions in my head but we'll start with that one
2: yeah again it's it's it, it goes back to the expectations piece for me i i got an opportunity to be a mentor why do i want to be a mentor what can i bring to it so i think that's something we need to speak about to start with so it and you made a really good point there about host and depth of experiences. So I would always say to anybody who's thinking about that kind of role in the first place is is why, and what can you bring? What have you learned from your experiences? I said earlier on a couple of times about, you know, I had some bad experiences that probably helped build my strength around and my passion around people development and people and leadership and, and trying to help others because I didn't want to be treated that way. So can you bring that? Have you had an experience in your life that, you feel that you can help make a difference So i don't want to use like the superhero like right and wrongs but if you've been a coach or a player and you've experienced bad coaching or parents in your ear or the manager that threw the boot across the room or swore at you so we like that don't get me wrong it's a, you know the term character building it's about a host of experiences but if you think you can bring something to the game then you're probably in a good place to be that so then again bring those experiences but here's my my mantra that I write down every time but people say what's your philosophy inspired to learn learn to inspire is something I live by in a mental capacity so I'll just break it down again inspired to learn learn to inspire so I am open 59 years of age I'm doing a doctorate you know and I'm going I want to be better so I can help and I'll make myself be better for people so have that kind of you're never going to know everything everybody you meet know something you don't so if you're coming into mentoring be open to that situation your experiences are important the stuff you're bringing to the party it's important to people to help them but please be open to trying to learn and make mistakes and be the best you can be but then try and inspire others so inspire to learn learn to inspire how can you help them be better they're kind of the opening things really for me why am i want to do it how do i want to do it what can I bring to the party? What's my outcome? What do I want to do? And if it is mm. to make people better and help others be better, then you're probably in a good starting place.
1: What about on the flip side of that? Obviously, the coach themselves looking at whether they should seek mentorship and what they should lack. Like. I want I'm, I'm to go back to the, going back through my coaching journey, You know, typically on coaching qualifications, you get the action plan and the action plan will say, go away and yeah. observe an experienced coach. How the hell do I know what that looks like?
2: <laughs> yeah wow. uh, yeah absolutely yeah absolutely yeah and, and, and let's start with a bit let's first time let's throw in some some stats here so from the mentor's research of 122 people pre COVID till now 38 percent stated they were nervous of being mentored or spoken to by a coach or side of the pitch type of stuff or cup of coffee on your mentor so there's masking going on potentially there's there's inferiority there's that imposter syndrome all that stuff's happening even if I'm walking around and I've I'm a player and I've played at you know a really good level I might still feel nervous if you coming across so what you're seeing that's not this happening that's going to be happening in that in that situation so you know already as a mentor that you need to be really careful and really honest and really selective on what you say to start with. You wanna build rapport, you wanna understand the person, then you can start pushing boundaries and challenging and understanding the person first. So don't go and say, a lot of that research of 38%, um, and there's another one, I've got 41% of people that said how important their first uh, opinion of the person that walked across was. So the three lions approach, if we're talking FA here, I walk across with the best intentions, but I've got an FA badge on, what's your first thought I'm being assessed here? I'm being assessed here that person's come they're coming over um they're going to tell me they're better than i am and all that stuff happens so it's about breaking all that down understanding why you're doing it back to my point again you're here to help have a cup of coffee have a chat get to know and that person might then start to open up and you might start to get some traction in why you're doing it what the person needs and how you can best help them it's, a, it's so complex mate but that's why that first rapport building stuff is so
1: important. Mm. And you know, just maybe share some guidance, you know, in terms of the coach themselves in identifying what a good mentor might look like for them and right the right type of mentor, right? Because this is something I've always, I've always questioned and challenged coaches, especially if I ever get approached and say, you know, yes, and, you know, um, I'd like to, you know, I'd like for you to mentor me. And the first question I ask is, why me? <laughs> um yeah. because i think that piece is so important right because it's, it's easily assumed that because i've got a certain amount of experiences and you know whoever else it may be that i can offer you some you know some insights but actually what do you need mentoring in yeah. what do you you know is that a quality that i can provide value to you with um so i you know, just talk about how important that piece is and what your experience are around that
2: yeah it's really important i suppose the words i'll come back with straight intentioned. So when people phone me up and say, you know, would you mentor me or what's your advice? It's advice. And and I'm thinking, right, I'm humbled that they've asked me. But my any advice I give them needs to be well-intentioned and honest and authentic, because I think there might be some experiences might help you. But why? Uh, And then you have those conversations, open questions. I want to find out more about why you'd like to be mentored or how I can help you. And it might be that they're not actually presenting what they want to help in to start with. It might be they there's that vulnerability piece again. Yes, about, uh, it's you know, I've got to be an inferiority complex. I think I know the game well, but I'm really struggling to identify X and it could be a number of things. So that kind of trust, empathy. um, You asked me, right. So you must thought some value in me. I've got to be well intentioned. What are you looking to get out of this? Is there a way you think I can help you? How would you like me to help you? There's nothing wrong with that. Do not assume that you're going to go in and change the world based on your own structure. It needs to be based on the mentee or the coach and what they need. If they've opened up to talk to you, then those conversations are vitally important before you get to that check and challenge place. You need to be well-intentioned with what you are saying. You need to understand to the best of, of your ability what they need help in. And there's something else that goes on to another conversation here. If you can't help, you need to be honest that you can't help. You know, signposting to someone else isn't a weakness from the mentor's perspective either. You know, if someone's open up for help, that means they probably will be uh, open to it, but it might not be Mm. you. But Mm. those conversations, that rapport building, that conversation about specifics, it might be on relations, it might be on technical practice, it might be on talking to players, it might be on relating to parents, it might be on all those things. You might be going, oh, yeah, actually, now we've opened a can of worms, because I've had a lot of experiences here. Or you might go, I know somebody else that might be able to help you here. And there's nothing wrong with that, and I think there's yeah. kind of a perception that if the mentor seeks help from someone or brings someone else into the conversation, it's a poor thing. No, it's a strong, it's a strength, mate. It's a
1: strength. Yeah, I I think I think you're spot on because I think definitely just shows that element of self awareness, right? And I think in, in in the times where I've had to signpost someone somewhere elsewhere, actually in the long run, it actually builds it builds an element of trust as well. That like this person is not wasting my time and they're actually. It's that vulnerability piece, right? Actually, do you know what? I can't. I can't help you. I'm not the best place to help you with that. i course I might have some ideas, but actually, there's probably yeah. someone. Someone over here that I can put you in touch with that might be able to better support you with that. So I think that piece is really important. And fundamentally, you know, the, the example I always give to people is, well, look. If you need help with timekeeping and you come to me, I'm gonna tell you the same thing. We're <laughs> <laughs> in the same boat. So when you figure it out, let me know. Um, and I think it's just you know just. You know, again, being really aware of where you're at, what your strengths or what your areas for development are in in that process. But, you know, just kind of looking at that, then you know, strengths and areas for development. What what are some ways that maybe we can start to look at how how those things are actually um, assessed in in the sense that I might think something is a strength, and this is another piece piece that I want to touch on as well. Is that just because it's a strength of mine? doesn't mean necessarily that I'm a specialist or an expert in that it's just a strength of mine yeah. right um and yeah. it's you know, how, how do we start to distinguish that do you think
2: I think there's a really good good point here and again it could, could this could be another like four hour podcast but your own biases and perceptions uh, and I spend a lot of time researching this as well because you know your bias is your bias and your perception of yourself is your perception others might see it differently so you reflected on yourself honestly about where you can be or where you can't be, what your strengths are. You know, we talk about, you know, these grow models and and windows and many, many other tools that we could use. But how many times, genuinely, as coaches, do we write stuff down, you know, the pros and cons of ourselves? Now, I'm going to have to say, because that's my I do a lot. Because of the role I'm in, I'm privileged to have had some, I mean that sincerely, some, some terrific roles. There's a lot of responsibility of trying to be authentic and do the best for other people. So I'm forever trying to find flaws, strengths and decipher those. I would say to anybody listening, regardless of the level you perceive yourself to coach at. All right, let's be honest here, mate. You're taking under 10s team. Wow. Congratulations. You're coaching under 10s team down that wrecking barnet. Then you've got, you know, all kinds of complex and, and issues and stuff to deal with. You'd, let's not just say you're an under 10 coach there's a huge amount there for you to assess your skills strengths and abilities to help and what you bring is 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 huge but we don't and I know it's time that is you know you said it yourself about time we're going to see the kids the grandkids I've got to go to work I'm going to college I'm doing all that stuff I've got to pick this up Uh, my dad's not well all that stuff but if we really want to be true to ourselves in that coach to be the best that we can be if you really want to talk to the questions you're asking there about what my strengths are, then we need to take time to reflect and be self-aware. You mentioned self-aware a few times yourself. Be, You're never going to be perfect. Be the best you can. Be aware of what your strengths are and why, because that's the advice you're going to be giving people. But go. the other side is, if there's stuff that the other person, the mentee, the, the coach, whatever you want to say, I learned so much in what I do from other people. I like talking, talking now, there's stuff that's probably in my, my mind now that I need to be better at that or I need to look into this so it's a two-way conversation now I might turn uh, give you some advice about I'll tell you, I'll tell you a quick story let's bring this to life I told there's a coach that said to me uh mentoring a grassroots coach so we go that way this time it was, it was brilliant said really well regarded well well known but could not get on with parents now, I'm thinking I'm a parent my grandchild what, what what can it be what you know can I watch this coach work now this coach was brilliant with with the children. It Was brilliant and I don't say this like this, not just for effect on, on this podcast. Brilliant coach, brilliant person, really passionate. But they got so intense in the game, yes. What they did was at match day, as kids, match day, they'd leave the dressing room, they're fortunate to have them. You know, all the teams use them, and just for them, but they'd walk across the pitch and they'd walk straight past the parents, head down, focus on the game, and cursory glance, go down, and then with the kids, brilliant. Did half-time team talks in front of the parents, all that stuff. But I'm thinking, how can I help this person? I'm going to say you're a great coach. I've learned so much from you. But then I've got a little little twig in my memory. Why don't you speak to the parents when you go out before the game? He goes, what do you mean? I said, we don't engage. I've seen three games now and you don't engage. What do you mean? It did not. There's a blind spot for him. And it was that observing. And it wasn't, it's not strength of mind. It's just the fact that you're not even talking to them. Mm. So I stood and have a cup of tea with them. And they go, never speaks to us. So all he had to do was speak to the parents when he went out there. Just say, hi, how's it going? How's things? And, and all that stuff about the beginning of the conversation, you might have found out that little Janice wasn't feeling well today, or little Stephen yeah. just lost his granddad. But just because brilliant with the kids, brilliant with all that cursory stuff, fantastic. But when he walked past, he just did not engage. So my job was literally um speak to your parents. I mm. can give them some fantastic mentoring, coaching, advice. It was just observing telling the truth and watching it happen. So, yeah, it's not rocket science sometimes. Mm. It's watching the environment and offering advice. I couldn't give him. I could. He did it better than me. He was fantastic with the engagement with the children. He was brilliant about sharing playing time. He was unbelievable at giving messages and high-fiving, and they all felt valued. But because he was so intense, because he was so focused on the children, we all need him, right? <laughs> the parents are like, well, you don't like us wasn't that at all it was because he gives so much energy so all I said to him was gave him some reflective points that was all I did and that relationship built from there and I learned more mm. in that conversation and in that mental relationship than I, I I gave him
1: yeah I think it's really interesting what you just touched on there as well it's something that it brought to life for me was so what does it take to be an effective mentee then a good mentee because this is just as important right because I think there's this too there's an assumption that you know it's the mentor, quote unquote, doing all the work. Yeah. Um, but you've 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 mentioned it several times in that in that piece that you just shared, that actually you've learned from this individual as much as they are hopefully learning from you. So just to, just talk about what you know, what you what would you say to coaches that are out there thinking, do you know what? I'm looking for a mentor. I've got a mentor. How do I become better at being a mentee?
2: Fantastic. It's a great, great, great question. A great, a great subject to raise. Let's just let's start that the caveat, the fact that that the research out there up until a certain point and there's some brilliant people at Sawyer and Tom Leader and others that have started looking at the uh, uh, mentee um and, and and looking at research into how the mentee and coach feels because in the past you're right mate I talk about mentoring it's all about the mentor the research said mentors say or the national governing body said mentoring should be this or coaches are uh, mentors say this it's about how the person feels and that person has their own skill set they're bringing to it. So any mentoring conversation I go to, I'm thinking excitedly, this is an opportunity for me to learn. So the mentee needs to understand that they're bringing loads themselves. They're bringing experiences and things I don't know, I've never experienced or seen. And I need to be open to that, back to that bias and authenticity. I'm thinking, now I'm not going in and going, oh, you, I'm going to learn so much from you. But within that first conversation of how can I help you? Why do you want me to mentor? What, what, what specifically do you want to work on? And contractually how can i help you get there so if i'm going to observe your practice how do you want me to observe you if you want to get feedback where do you want that coffee shop a week later via email all that stuff and into that rapport building that goes right through everything else i'm going to start saying do you know what that's a great point I never thought about that genuinely but i might use it to emphasize the fact that i'm learning then their confidence remember what i said about 38 percent of all coaches mentored have that vulnerability face they have that hold on a minute they, they must be the font of knowledge. I have relevant knowledge that might help you, but you know what? You've got relevant knowledge that helped me. All of a sudden, that relationship will grow and it becomes reciprocal and it becomes a point of a learning platform for two people. If you're FA badge orientated, I'm not saying that FA at all. If you're, you know, Man United orientated, West Ham orientated with that badge and that clipboard and it's all about you, then you probably shouldn't be mentoring. If you're in there thinking, I'm wearing my hoodie, we're having a cup of coffee, I love coaching, I think you're doing a great job and I can pick stuff up. And we can have a really good learning conversation, a walk and talk about what we witnessed. And you know what, we might find a route that might make that better via our experiences. You're probably in the right place.
1: I think it's such a great point that you made there around, you know, having that reciprocal piece. And I think one of the things that's kind of really worked well for me, and I've been quite impressed with when I'm, when I'm mentoring someone, um, and, after, and I've often tried to do this myself, is you know, if I am getting mentorship, is actually feeding back to the mentor themselves do you know like you know mossy we had this conversation the other day and we came up with these ideas i actually tried it out and this is how it worked out
2: because
1: that, that for me is like well you know if you even in as a, as a mentor in that capacity aren't quite clear when, what specific outcomes you're going to get out from it but you're coming in with an open mind yeah for me is almost okay me giving a seed that can be planted for you okay that's brilliant because now and and i think for me if i'm on the if i'm on the mentoring side of that relationship i'm looking at and thinking okay well this person really wants this it makes me more enthused and engaged in the process with them as well in that actually this person actually is trying to take on board the information and you know implement it feedback on it build it and, and you'll know, reflect on it. And that piece just kind of it just adds more fuel to the fire in the whole process, right? Whereas, on the flip side, you know, I've had situations and I'm sure you've been there as well, where you've had mentees, they're probably not as engaged, they say they want to develop, they say they want this. Um, but essentially, their behaviours don't align with their words.
2: Yeah. And, and again that's where the authenticity comes in for you to have those conversations and if it is really that we understand each other and we actually know you're doing it with the best well-intentioned view i might have that conversation not working out or do you really want to get better at this how can i help you your, your behaviors are showing this and i really want to help you so that's the skills and soft you know that's the most terrible phrase soft skills because they're the best skills any human can have that interaction but then it becomes dialogue and not debate doesn't it this is debate i'm telling you this and stop but at close questions and that might be their body language because they're uncomfortable so you've got to try and get under that and say hey come on i'm here to help you if it's not working out like that's absolutely fine I'm not precious about this but i really think you know we can we can move this forward and then you start to have dialogical debate about how i can help you what your vulnerabilities are where i can't where i can signpost and and the reality of the relationship comes out but don't forget what i said if you have to signpost to move on that's fine and people talk a lot about ending relationships and contractually bring it to a close. Now, I, I mm-hmm. agree with that. I understand where that should be the case because, you know, you're, you're fundamentally in, in, invested in this process psychologically, you're tired, you're, you're giving your time up and all that stuff, absolutely. But I would say I am still have relationships with my mentees now and with my coaches and my friends, that's what they are. It's just that that contractually might be I don't come and see you very much anymore because you're in a happy place and you've got another mentor or you're mentoring. But the phone still gets picked up and those relationships and those challenges and that learning still happens. But it's gauging all that. It's not fluffy. It's actually where does it end? Where have I helped you, where have I haven't helped you, what mm. what tactics can we employ to make this better? it's 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 massively important.
1: And just just to build on that then, let's to talk, talk about it a little bit in terms of ending that relationship or form or formally bringing it to a close of some sort. what What should that process look like? because I think it, it, you know, there could be a positive reasons for that. As in, you've yeah. you've achieved what you set out to achieve, or there could be potentially negative reasons for that in the fact that this just isn't going anywhere because the application isn't there.
2: Yeah, it, it could be, but um, I think most of the best ones still end with, actually, I've really helped you, you've moved forward, you're much more confident in your delivery, you're much better, let's be specific here, of your practice planning. You know, you got to a point now where, wow, actually, you're yeah, more fastidious and, and and fluid with it than I've ever been, well done. However, how can you get better at it? How can you make sure that it's transferred to the information for your session plans to your players? There might be other avenues. So you, you set kind of a process. It's not like goodbye. It's kind of your learning might be elsewhere. It might be a podcast. It might be watching another coach work. It might be some mentoring someone else. It might be a TED talk, whatever. I'm not, it's, it doesn't just end cold. Yes, it's about what's next. The learning always continues. But do you need me as a formal mentor if it's formal in this in this context or me to come and see you, observe you, give you feedback? It might be, I've always tried to work it in individual circumstances and with FA workers, that it's kind of that step back process. If I was seeing you every two weeks, it might be, I'll see you once this month, or it might be, you might give me an email or a reflection. Always like that point, this is where I think I've got better, you know, and it might end up with a phone call. So it's all about the individual again and where they want to go. Mm. Uh, and it's also being honest that if it isn't working, we haven't moved forward. Hey. You know, we we end on good terms and maybe I can support you or maybe someone else can help you or or I can signpost you somewhere else. That's what makes it so relational based. It makes it so important that we make sure people are supported the best way we can, whether it's me or it's not me.
1: And again, I think it's really interesting you mentioned that. Another thing that we need to consider is is that the mentee should also understand that they don't have to be limited to one mentor either absolutely and, and and how does that relationship balance itself you know if you're looking at it from a um, a mentee's perspective you know what are some considerations you'd want them to make around that and even from the flip side of it, as a mentor under you know go or someone trying to get into mentoring in particular understanding that you're not the only source of support for this individual at this point in time if that makes sense
2: yeah and i think it's really important i mean if i turn to you and i'm not asking you to answer this and you ask me and you're not asking me directly i've probably got it's it, You know, it's, it, these things come up a lot. I've probably got nine or 10 people I'd say are mentors, but, but they're not mentors to that. They're just somebody that's uh, in in a position that I've always found helps me and they talk to me, etc. But right. Every one of them knows that there's other people. Right. And I think that's the misconception sometimes. that I am your mentor. I am the font of all knowledge. You need to listen to me. and uh, you, and, and that's just the wrong way to go. So I think it's really key. Listen, you go to school, you have a teacher you like, you have a next year you a teacher you really get on with. You're going to go out to work, or you're going to go to university. You're going to get information and learning from family, from friends, from dads, from mums, from brothers, from sisters, from coaches, from parents. And we all accept that in life, right? We all know that that happens. So what should make that different in a mentoring capacity? If you trust me, I'm authentic, and you feel in certain aspects of your life, I. I, I'm privileged enough to help you, then that, that, that's cool. That's where the mentoring comes in. So I think we need to, when we broker these, I keep saying contracting, and when we go into a relationship, if me and you're entering one now, we'd be specific with, with structure where we could help, what days we can do, when I can come and see you. But let's be really open from the start that I am the font of all knowledge. There are other people out there. And if you come back to all so says that, that's great, because that challenges me. But I might help your thought process within a certain aspect of your coaching, your development, you as a person, but knowing that somebody else might have more knowledge or something else is not a bad thing. It's a great thing to do. And we should be that. Should answer your question right at the beginning. Let's just be open with it. If I can help you, fantastic. Mm. We don't believe that for one minute, I'm the only person that's going to be helping you.
1: Darren, there's so many different directions. that Obviously this conversation could go in and could have gone in. Um, I'm just trying to piece together some of the key takeaways for me. And I think one of the biggest ones, certainly authenticity is key. Yeah. Um, and just to kind of build on that, you know, just thinking back on experiences, both as a coach and even just a coach developer and a mentor, when I've watched other people, whether it's a player, whether it's a coach, whether if you're not authentic, people will smell that. They'll sniff it out yeah. very quickly. And, and it, that once you lose that, Opportunity to be authentic with them. It's kind of a bit of a, a bit of a hill to climb on the way back to try and get it to try and get it back to where it was originally, right? You know, they've got the they talk, you know, we've got the old saying about, you know, you get one chance to make a first impression and say it is it, it, it is what it is, right? And I think then so authenticity is key. I think another key thing for me is just self awareness, um, both for yourself and the person that you're working with in that relationship, whether that be from a mentoring perspective even as the mentee how self-aware are you um probably probably the biggest one beyond that is the expectations Yeah, understanding you know what, what am i going into this uh this relationship or as you put it this contract for what is the outcome what we're going after um is there a clear starting point is there a clear end point to an extent um but also really importantly obviously you know is that that can change at any given point of time as long as there's another conversation about it essentially
2: yeah and i i think i think summary you spot on and i think authentic in what way so you're yourself what you can bring how you're going to bring it what the person can expect and what that you know like a mini bio I'm, i've got a lot of experiences of this is me i'm rubbish at timekeeping but i you know i've had some experience in this all of a sudden that's contractual Ah, i know what i can ask I've got an understanding of what this mentor might be bringing, but the expectation piece comes into it too. So that conversation is two ways. It's not just knowing the mentee, mentee knows you. So we've got, we've put reciprocal understanding that there's some relative experience in my life that might help your journey. There might be areas where I might be at a signpost or help you reach, but others might be better at that. Yeah. So we contract by being authentic. Yeah, we, we broke broker the relationship by being authentic and being true to ourselves and where that journey can go. And then wonderful things can happen. And I don't want to be cheesy with that because if you trust me and I trust you and it builds, and we've all been in those, right, that actually they become lifelong friends and you grow, and it's someone else you can go back to, you know, it's powerful stuff. But being authentic and real is key to that, that starting with process. Absolutely right.
1: 100%. I mean, just as you're speaking, I'm thinking about some of the people who maybe started off as mentors for me. And now maybe when I was younger, I probably didn't understand fully or appreciate fully the reciprocal piece in terms of right, what am I bringing to the table as well. Um, yep. But certainly now with time, age and experiences, actually some of those relationships which did start off as mentee mentor have now developed into friendships and lifelong ones are, are, are hopefully as well. So I think I think you make a great point in terms of the transformational impact it can have in that respect. And it's something, it can then naturally extend itself beyond football, right? And beyond the working world, if you like. Um, but no I think it's fascinating I think so many different ways like I said the direction of the conversation could have gone in have you you got any final things that you maybe want people just to consider within this piece here and and maybe just give us a bit more information around some of the research you're doing where we can find out a little bit more about you and the work you're doing at the moment
2: yeah that yeah thanks so much mate so yeah basically um my doctorate is now coming to well I'm hoping (laughs) I've got to talk to my supervisory team it might even be listening but we're in that conversation my I'm hoping to go to Viva within the next six to eight months or so Uh, And I I just think my message would be, don't worry about my work so much. You've got my LinkedIn there and you've got Twitter as well. I'm always open for conversation about learning. And I think it's that inspire to learn, learn to inspire. If you truly are an advocate of transformational coaching, of the game as as it is, skillful players, all that stuff, making people better, then be open to learning. Be open to being better. Be really aware of your limitations and where you can fly. It's about helping others. Uh, always open to a conversation. Um, and again, I suppose that's that's me in a nutshell, isn't it? I'm speaking to you. We've, we've got a good rapport. We've got to know each other. And we've had some conversations in the past, you know, on, on interviews and on chats and on learning. And we've got that rapport. But I'm 59 years of age. I'm doing a doctorate. You're never too old to, to, to get better at what you can do. Um, and that's the message. Don't think you know everything because there's always someone out there that knows more than you do and strive to know that stuff that they know.
1: That's, that's awesome. You like it just make me think about my own journey, like, you know, I, I, similar to yourself. I actually, you know, recently done my master's and I thought to myself, I never had any intentions or never have never thought I would actually go on and do it, um, especially without having an undergrad as well. And I just thought to myself, you know, what? now that I've done that, it's now spurred me on to maybe follow in your footsteps a little bit and go after to the PhD. Um, I don't know if I'm brave, <laughs> as brave as you, but It's definitely worth considering. But no, Darren, um, just want to say a massive thank you for your time this morning or this afternoon, rather. I'm really appreciating some great insights there.
2: Yeah, it's a a pleasure. Um, Let's keep the conversations going out there. Let's be the best that we can be, you know, and uh, that's what the message is, mate, the best we can be. Keep trying.
1: Amazing. Thank you very much, Darren. Take care